The new European Bauhaus initiative calls on us to reimagine our living spaces in a way that's beautiful for our eyes, minds and souls. But what about our ears? The ERC-funded Sun Cities project is developing new tools for architecture and urban design that take greater account of sound. To find out more, we spoke with Gassia Uzunian, who is Associate Professor of Music at the University of Oxford. So, Gassia, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, sharing with us about your Sun Cities project. Perhaps you could just begin by briefly introducing yourself. Sure. Um, thank you so much for having me, Tony. Yeah, my name is Gassia Uzunian. I'm an Associate Professor of Music at the University of Oxford. I grew up in Canada, born in Beirut, Lebanon, uh, to Armenian parents. And I was trained in music, kind of contemporary music, electronic music, as a violinist, also studied music technology. Um, and I mostly have been writing about sound technologies, uh, history of experimental music, sound art, as well as sound in space. So last year I published my first book, which was uh, called Stereophonica, Sound and Space in Science, Technology and the Arts. And it was a kind of 150-year study of the psychology of uh, spatial hearing, early tests in spatial perception of sound, uh, but also many different kinds of technologies through wartime to now what we do in kind of sonic urban design and sound mapping and things like that. And yeah, and at Oxford, I'm running a now five-year ERC project called Son Cities is the acronym, which stands for Sonorous Cities Towards a Sonic Urbanism. And um, really, this is about bringing together practitioners and people who are working across sound studies, which is more my field, as well as architecture studies, architecture design, urban design, urban sociology, to think together about kind of more critical ways of understanding and engaging with and designing urban sound environments. So often in the architecture built environment, let's say professions, there is a kind of negative uh, emphasis on sound. So through forms of acoustical control or noise control, those are the paradigms that really shape how architecture practitioners and let's say also city decision makers, city councillors are thinking about sound, how to reduce and mitigate sound in the urban environment. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with reducing noise. Actually, I think it's a very important issue because noise can be a social injustice. Uh, who is exposed to, you know, what kinds of noise, what levels of noise um, can be really differentiated along socioeconomic lines. Um, but uh, we want to kind of go beyond the kind of noise mitigation models to think really in creative ways about sound. Um, so if I can just give one example of what I mean sure. by that, or kind of, you know, critical appreciation as well. We have this term soundscape that maybe, you know, by now lots of people have mm -hmm. heard. It's been circulating since the 1960s or so. And this um, World Soundscape Project group that was actually from Canada composer Armory Schaefer, they also promoted this idea of acoustic ecology. But soundscape, which is often, you know, used to designate sound environment, is really often treated as a kind of object. So the set of sounds that can be heard, recorded, classified, kind of that make up urban sound environment. Whereas we really want to 
approach this idea of soundscape as almost um, in the opposite way as a kind of production. <laughs> what is happening socially, mm -hmm. culturally, economically, politically <laughs> in producing certain kinds of sounds and environments? How are people participating in that production or being excluded <laughs> from participating in it? You know, how are people's sonic cultures, sometimes sonic behaviors being differently enabled or policed, let's say, or controlled in that sense? Um, how do they feel included or excluded from participating in those kind of sound worlds, particularly in, you know, these uh, very diverse cities like London or places that are undergoing lots of change, maybe through things like gentrification, maybe through migration. Um, so we're kind of thinking about it, you know, not just as something which is kind of set, but as something which is in flux and thinking about also why are certain sounds and sonic cultures and behaviors not present. So uh, Swan Cities is kind of, you know, doing that kind of intervention. Very interesting. And you mentioned that your project has a strong interdisciplinary dimension. What have been some of the challenges and benefits of bringing together um, diverse specialists? I think you have sound theorists, urban sociologists, architects, urban designers and sound artists. Has, how has that experience been for you? You know, it's been, I have to say, a profound pleasure. <laughs> um, I suppose in every kind of interdisciplinary work, there's a challenge in that people are kind of going outside of their, let's say, normal ways of working or traditional ways of working. And, you know, you bring together two quite disparate ways of working or ideas, and it's already <laughs> challenging. But I was very fortunate because... Before I was at Oxford, I was in a wonderful um, institution at the Queen's University in Belfast, which was called the Sonic Arts Research Centre. And over there, I started a research network with an architect. We have a, there was a big architecture program at Queen's and she was called Sarah Lappin. And um, she's both an architect, trained architect and architectural historian. And she became head of architecture at Queen's. And we had a project called uh, Recomposing the City, which was really like a research network, exactly doing this, kind of going across those different worlds. Because I thought, you know, there are, for example, so many sound artists in Belfast who are doing really interesting things with like placemaking and sound. Well, architects and urban designers are doing things with placemaking and, you know, creating space. But why aren't those worlds overlapping or mm. intersecting more? So we started this research network and over the years got to do many you know different kinds of projects smaller projects exhibitions seminars co-teaching you know across our disciplines and through that i guess built a kind of network of people who are open to these kinds of ideas in the architecture world who now we're engaging like through sound cities and maybe i could give you an example of sure. when those two you know worlds come together and what might you know happen um so one project uh which was like a seed project actually for sound cities we called it scoring the city and uh, if people want to look at a website for that, because now there's a kind of online exhibition, it's at scoring.city. <laughs> and uh, what this was, Scoring the City, I don't know if you've ever seen, for example, um, experimental graphic music notation. So I haven't. What I, does that look like? Yeah, it, it's, you know, it can take so many different 
shapes and forms. Um, maybe some of the earliest examples, let's say in the 20th century Western art music um, tradition were, for example, the graphic scores of Morton Feldman. He would draw these almost like, they were almost like graphs in his case, you know, okay. with one dot here, one dot there in the graph, and the dots would indicate maybe a pitch or a sound, and there was much more kind of choice on the part of the performer as to how they're going to navigate in this graphic score. Or it could be, for example, Cornelius Cardew. He had this beautiful, uh, the English composer had a beautiful piece called Treatise, um, each page is really almost like an illustration, uh, beautiful drawings. Um, and again, it's much more up to the performer as to how they interpret some of those symbols. So you're going away from kind of stuff notation to something which is an image that can sometimes give you just, you know, imagistic mm. ideas about sound, or there are different symbols that they've created, the composer has created. So I took inspiration from that uh, to say, you know, because we also in music have these very, very specific scores in the modernist tradition, you might have 10, you know, markings for one note, <laughs> it has to be this loud played with this articulation mm. at this part of the, you know, bow and things like that for me as a violinist. Anyway, so instead of having that super specified, the graphic scores are allowing much more room for, let's say, interpretation, improvisation use. So I was thinking, you know, if we do that, with architectural drawings or urban kind of designs, mm -hmm. what would happen? What would happen if architects and urban designers weren't just doing these kind of one-to-one -one architectural drawings or urban plans, but they were almost scoring for a site? So uh, their you know, plan would be interpretable in many different kinds of ways. And what visual and who, language would they use? Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but who yeah. would do the interpreting in that case? Yeah, so it was a kind of proposition. So whoever is going to build the site, right. possibly also who is going to use the site mm. um, and leaving kind of much more informality in that. So we, we explored this idea through four workshops in four different cities with about 20 architects each. And in each place, we uh, did a kind of site visit where we talked about the particular you know, challenges of that place. So in Belfast, there was a kind of whole community that had been basically evacuated at one point uh, in order to make room for a highway. And so that site was now commercialized, but that former community still has ties to it. And anyhow, so it was really around kind of memory in that space. So we were asking the architects, okay, if you could design for the future of this site, Sailor Town, what would you score if you could score for it? And I have to say, like in all the cities, which each had different kinds of challenging, you know, things to think about, um, people came up with really interesting <laughs> scores. And it, you know, one or two architects, they said to us afterwards, um, we didn't know what would happen. We didn't know if that would work at all. <laughs> so mm. that's part of it, you know, is kind of going in with this prompt, maybe quite an experimental proposition and seeing what happens when you bring these different methods together. And, you know, some of the architects said, you know, now when I go to doing a new drawing, I actually think about scoring. <laughs> um, and I think about, you know, how do I allow for informality, flexibility, uh, kind of open use or other kinds of more flexible ways of interpretation. Mm. I should say this project was 
with a wonderful organization called Teatrum Mundi and their director, John Bingham Hall, who's now also a Sun City's collaborator. And so we were running the workshops together and I see. it was just, uh, you know, we did, we couldn't anticipate what would come from, but now we have this beautiful collection of scores. We didn't know then what would happen with those scores, but actually a few musical ensembles said, we want to interpret them, <laughs> which wasn't necessarily what they're mm. for. Um, they're more kind of like tools to think with in a sense. And apart from being uh, very interdisciplinary, yeah. uh, it sounds like your research is very participative. I guess one mm -hmm. might describe it as an example of citizen science. What have you learned through working with uh, people in local communities mm -hmm. alongside the various experts that you collaborate with? Um, yeah, thank you for asking about that. I think um, this is a really important dimension of the Sun Cities project. And here I want to give credit and actually throughout the whole project to this really brilliant team of postdoctoral researchers who are part of Sun Cities, Ruth Bernatek, Christabel Sterling, and Mathilde Marelish. And they are representing the fields of architecture, history, theory, urban sociology, and sound, as well as sound artists, uh, sound art, and field recordists. And they've been uh, doing this very layered uh, kind of study of Brixton in London, uh, although mm -hmm. also thinking about it almost as a multi-sided place with lots of, you know, interesting points, but also people coming in and out of Brixton who might work there and have other connections to London. But what they're doing is asking people who are living or working in Brixton, take us on a sonic tour of your neighborhood and kind of narrate that draw a map of your sonic Brixton and how you understand, you know, this sonic environment, keep an audio diary. Mm -hmm. There are many different ways of kind of participating, let's say in the research, uh, doing a recording club is something they're starting now and that will have different themes. And it's all about kind of sound and place. And again, about, let's say, feelings of inclusion or exclusion or participation or being prevented sometimes from participating. Um, but how are people actually experiencing these sound environments? So often in connection to sound environment, the way it has traditionally been studied in sound studies is kind of through preference. So people like a certain sound or they dislike a certain sound. And we wanted to kind of you know, question that a bit <laughs> and okay. yeah, kind of think more about, for example, what makes this space a kind of sociable acoustic? That's mm. a question that some of our collaborators like John Bingham Hall and Richard Sennett, they've been thinking about through this kind of urban sociology lens, but then studying that in a particular place and asking people, you know, about that and really looking at, again, the very individual level of experience. And so then really building then a very plural idea of what's happening, mm. you know, in Brixton. So some of the things, for example, that they're finding is that there is a lot of like sonic enclaving that happens in this rapidly gentrifying neighborhood. Um, so places, for example, where previous communities, particularly black British communities are being priced out. And right. there's maybe other, however, kind of economic migrants who might be in a space temporarily or something like that. Mm -hmm. How do they make almost, almost like private sonic spaces within this 
larger public space of like an arcade or a mall or something like that? And what does it mean for them to still have, let's say, the sounds of their home country and this, you know, Ethiopian cafe or a kind of clothing store or, you know, a Portuguese. So kind of looking at those kinds of mixes, um, looking also at how then Brixton is almost sold to, you know, now wealthier, let's say newcomers as this kind of place, which is buzzing and has vibe. So uh, one of uh, the researchers on my team, Cristobal Sterling, she's uh, thinking a lot about this idea of the commodification of vibe. <laughs> so Brixton, the they're commodification all, of vibe. Vibe, okay. exactly. So uh, Brixton, you know, yeah. was a place that was famously home to uh, roots reggae culture, dub yeah. cultures. But as black communities, you know, were priced out of Brixton, there is maybe now a kind of almost nostalgic kind of presentation of reggae and but almost for white consumption. So she's looking at that kind of in these different record stores mm, and, you know, and who's being sold what and how <laughs> and mm. and what does that mean, you know? Yeah. And when Brixton is, however, still being sold as, you know, come for the buzz, you know? Mm. And in a place where sometimes it becomes impossible to have buzz <laughs> because actually in some parts of Brixton, there's real urban decline happening mm. uh, because, you know, local shops can't afford to stay there anymore. Yeah. Here in the European Union, there's a, an initiative that's been launched, which is um, called the New European Bauhaus. Is, it, is this mm. something you've come across? Uh, is there yes. a relationship between some of the issues they're looking at with urban design and, and your work through Sun Cities? Yeah, I was really inspired to, you know, see this project and um, this initiative and to know that, you know, there's very large initiative underway about sustainability of place, uh, inclusivity of place, and also beauty of place. And I think they have as part of their, you know, mission statement that they're striving, you know, to engage the eye, mind and soul. And I actually thought that was really lovely because actually in academic settings, we often forget about beauty or we're allergic to that term or soul. But actually, I think as we've seen, you know, with the ecological crisis, pandemia, our cities are in crisis in particular. And how how can you uh, build more kind of sustainable futures and more inclusive kinds of futures? So in terms of how I see a project like Sun Cities, um, you know, as being part of that scheme, I mean, in a funny way, the old Bauhaus, <laughs> you know, the old European Bauhaus is so interesting because it's quite interdisciplinary as well. It's looking at kind of form and function of you know, architecture, interior design, product design, but also beauty, you know, creating. So one thing that we're trying to do is precisely create those conversations between the different people who are involved in placemaking, design of place, design of space, uh, but to bring the ear into it as well. So I think that could be, you know, the dimension that we're, we're thinking closely about. Yeah. That makes sense, definitely. I was just wondering if you wanted to add the ear to the eye, the mind, and the soul. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. The ear and really like the body <laughs> because yeah. we experience, you know, our sonic environments actually with the entire body and not mm. just the ear. 
particularly in cities where you have, you know, such a large range of from infrasound, so sounds that are below the threshold of, you know, hearing, let's say in, in terms of the frequency threshold of hearing and ultrasonic sounds as well. So mm. there's a lot of now, you know, sound art, which is enabling people to hear those kinds of sounds around them as well. Even if we can't hear them, they're there and they affect the ecology of a place. Mm. They mm. might, you know, make it impossible, for example, for a certain species of bird to live in a place um, because they can no longer communicate within a certain frequency bandwidth, which is their what has been called acoustic niche. That's a term that's advanced in acoustic ecology. So to be able to pay attention to that whole range. And when I say body, it's like when I'm in London, I feel, you know, the vibrations, for example, of the subway and those enormous sounds <laughs> that it's creating all the kind of vibrating uh, rumble of London, which you even hear in your sleep, <laughs> you know, almost everywhere that you are in London. Mm you know, to not just ignore it or absorb it, <laughs> but to, yeah, to, you know, do creative things with it, maybe also critical interventions <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps just the last question, looking ahead to the future. I mean, if your project Sun Cities achieves its goals in terms of influencing architecture and urban design and making sound um you know more factored into decisions that are taken for any of our listeners who are city dwellers mm. themselves what what kind of difference mm. would that make to them in their in their everyday lives yeah i thank you that's a you know beautiful question for me what i would hope that swan cities can do is because we're doing you know many workshops events concerts let's say symposia things like this we're writing books where we're developing kind of different approaches to urban sound analysis or urban sound design, kind of experimental things like the scoring the city. But what I would hope is that really what we're doing is creating um, almost like prototypes, again, kind of tools to think with, and that that can spread, you know, throughout the urban and architecture design communities, precisely in order to create these more uh, sonically inclusive, sensitive environments, more consciousness around sound that I think would actually help, hopefully, you know, a lot of people be able to enjoy the places that they live in and also create spaces and places where, you know, you're not ignoring that this whole species of bird can't live there because of all these, you know, different sounds that are happening in that environment, how to be more sensitive to that, how to shape an environment that takes that into account. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, it's been very nice talking to you, Gassia. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Tony. All the best with your Sun Cities project. And we mm. look forward to hearing more about your results and different activities. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.